But the ultimate goal of every sermon that I preach is to effect change, to, to, to set the stage for transformation of someone's life, that they do things differently, they live differently after. You have to understand that people don't change because of content. I think people, we collect content in our heads, but until we feel the weight of it, it just doesn't change things for us. Welcome to the Preaching Donkey Podcast, a weekly show where we explore how to preach life-changing messages. I'm your host, Lane Sebring, and I'm so excited to bring you inspiring and helpful conversations with amazing pastors and church leaders, all designed to help you take your preaching and leadership to the next level. And now, let's dive right in. What is going on, everybody? Welcome to episode 10 of the Preaching Donkey Podcast. It's so awesome to have you joining us today. My name is Lane, your host, and whether you're watching here on YouTube, it's so great to see you. Be sure to subscribe. Be sure to hit the like button and leave a comment. Let me know what you think of today's episode. Or if you're listening on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Apple Podcast. well, I already said that, you know, all of the different podcast players, uh, so awesome to have you. Definitely leave a review, especially if you're on Apple Podcast. That really helps out a ton. Have a great show for you today. We have Brandon Cox on the episode today. He is a pastor in Arkansas at Grace Hills Church. He also has been the editor for Pastors.com, which is Rick Warren's outfit. Really helpful resource there at Pastors.com. And he's worked at Saddleback Church. He's got a lot of experience across the board, and he's very active with his blog and his resource site called brandonacox.com. I think you're really going to like that interview. We're going to talk about everything from planning ahead, working with your team, and also the importance of content. You heard him talking about this, the importance of not only just content, but making content stick. How do you make content land in such a way that people can actually benefit from it and it sticks. So that's going to be a really great interview. That's coming up in just a few minutes. If you haven't yet, I want to encourage you to pick up my resource called the 21 Day Guide to Creating Killer Sermons. You can pick that up at preachingdonkey.com slash 21 days. I want to read a comment that came through on YouTube. This is, uh, I, I did a series of videos about a year ago, a year and a half ago, called Seven Steps to Writing a Sermon. Just a, a simple set of videos on YouTube just to help people out. I now have a course uh, called Preaching Jumpstart, which goes into much more depth on how to write and deliver a sermon. But I did one on a playlist on how to write a sermon. And this comment came through, and it was really cool. I want to read it to you. This is from Adnan. He said, thank you so much for the help, Lane. The seven steps have been a lifesaver. I am a theology major who is going to be preaching his first sermon soon. And this has made me very comfortable with it. I'm about to buy the two books you have as well. You're a great instructor who can help any pastor. First of all, thank you for that. Uh, That comment was a few months ago, and I'm actually just seeing it because sometimes these comments get buried. And to be honest, I don't read all of them, (laughs) especially the ones that are negative and directed at me. But occasionally... Uh, occasionally there are really encouraging, actually a lot, there's there's a lot of encouraging comments that come through. The bad ones are usually when I do a trending topic, a lessons for pastors video, 
those tend to get the comments that are a little bit more, uh, let's say, spicy. <laughs> and they're directed at me and they are not happy with me. I mean, it's about half and half. If you're a pastor out there and you're listening or you're watching and you're thinking about doing YouTube, here's what you have to understand. On YouTube, people are out for blood. I mean, they, they really want to see you bleed. So uh, as soon as you start making content on YouTube and you have an opinion and you share that opinion, just get ready. The comments are going to come. Uh, but occasionally comments like this come through on these videos and they're very, very encouraging. And I'm so glad to know that uh, this, this guy is going to preach his first sermon, which has probably already happened, and that uh, the content has been helpful. So if you haven't subscribed on YouTube yet, go to Preaching Donkey on YouTube. You can subscribe there. And I, I think you'll really enjoy the content that we put out. I've got some just exciting things coming this year and uh, more content, more resources. Uh, I'm really just trying to grow this to be a much even more helpful resource to pastors and church leaders. So exciting things coming up this year, but a lot of it goes down on YouTube. So definitely go over there and um, and subscribe. I want to share with you a an article on christianpost.com. This is by William Vanderblumen. If you don't know who William Vanderblumen is, he he is he has the what's called the Vanderblumen Search Group, where he helps uh, he helps churches hire pastors. He was a pastor for a long time. Great guy. I've met him personally a couple of times. He's had a lot of influence on me. I, I want to try to have him on the show at some point. But he wrote this uh, this article that I think is really on point for where we are right now in the beginning of 2021. It says he says hyper localize your mission and message. Whether your church, and I'm reading the article now, this is an op-ed from him, whether your church is open for in-person worship or is meeting solely through online platforms, the pandemic has changed the way we do church. Now that nearly every church in the world is streaming services, what will keep people engaged in your church? Have you thought about this, right? Have you thought about the fact that whether you are doing in-person or streaming or some combination of the two... It has been different. Uh, what you've had, you, you've had to change in some way. You've had to adapt in some way. And the question of if everybody is just, it, it, let's say it this way: if a lot more people are watching online, why do they watch your service versus one of the other, you know, hundreds of thousands of churches that they could choose from in the United States and around the world? Why your church, and how are they going to keep engaged with your church? on into 2021? I think that's a really important question to consider. He says the answer is simple. Hyper-localize your mission and message to continue connecting to your specific audience and your ministry will thrive. And then he says, I sat down with Chris C., the pastor of Ecclesia in Houston, Texas, to discuss how to be how being hyper-localized has strengthened their ministry and allowed them to reach people they could not have otherwise. You can check out his uh, his discussion with Pastor Chris C. and the conclusions that he came to at Christian Post. Again, that article is called Hyperlocalize Your Mission and Message. I wanted to bring that up mainly because I, I, I think it's an interesting thing for us to think about as pastors and as church leaders. How do you hyperlocalize your mission and message such that when people are trying to decide whether they're going to stay engaged with you, they know that you are the church in that area for them because you're speaking specifically to their needs in their context, in their community. How do you do that 
when so much of it is virtual and so much of it is streaming. I think he's got some interesting things to say in that article, and I would love to hear from you. One of the things, and I'll read a little bit, he says, what does it mean for a ministry to be hyper-local? A hyper-local ministry focuses on the immediate community that God has planted them to serve. People are looking to be part of a ministry that speaks to their everyday life and their specific context. God has called you to your city for a reason. Use your church to engage in ministry and reach those in your community. More importantly than just engaging your local community, it is important that churches are serving their communities. No one is better equipped to serve your city than those who are living in the midst of the specific local current events. In many communities right now, people are hurting and need the church, but not just any church. They need a church that can deeply understand and empathize with their experiences. How can you use your city to share Christ and reach out to your community? Um, really interesting thoughts. I just want to bring that up just as something to think about and to discuss here in the comments on YouTube, or if you're if you're listening on one of the podcast players, you can email me, lane at preachingdonkey.com. If you have some thoughts, or if your church is doing something creative to remain local. Now, this is not to say that we don't do global missions and we don't have outreach efforts outside of our community. It's just to say that you want to bloom where you are planted, and that's no more important, has never been more important than right now, when people's engagement can be detached from the local body and they can really engage with whatever church they want anywhere in the world, why your church? I think it's an important question to ask, an important question to consider. I'm going to get into the interview with Brandon Cox. We discussed some amazing things. I've talked a little bit about him. I actually met Brandon through doing Preaching Donkey. Uh, He reached out early on and was very gracious to share some of my articles on pastors.com And we just struck up a friendship, and we've had a a really great friendship, and I've just tried to support what he's doing, and he's supported what I'm doing. He's really an influential voice in helping pastors, but also something that I really love. He is very influential in helping people who want to start and grow businesses and, and be entrepreneurial, and he really helps pastors and church leaders develop side incomes. And we didn't really get into that in this interview, although I'd love to have him back on the show to talk about that. But we talk about his process for preaching and teaching, planning. It's a it's a really great interview. So with without any further delay, I want to grow straight to that interview so you can hear from Brandon Cox here on the Preaching Donkey podcast. Hey, Brandon Cox, thanks so much for being on today. It's great to have you, man. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. It's a big honor. Well, you know, uh, I've talked a little bit about you and our relationship. You know, I actually met you because of Preaching Donkey. If it weren't for Preaching Donkey, I wouldn't have even known, or I probably would have known about you, but I don't think we would, we would be friends. But just kind of cool how I remember when you reached out to me years ago when you were editing for pastors.com and you said, hey, I want to syndicate some of your articles. And that was like, you know, because I had started a blog that I didn't think anybody would ever read. So, uh, so I really, really appreciate that. Um, but you've done so much in ministry. You've been in so many different places. So uh, for those who are listening or watching and don't know much about your story, can you just kind of share the journey that you've taken from, you know, starting out in ministry to where you are now? Sure. Yeah. Well, I was, I was 17 in high school when I met my future wife, and uh, started going to church with her. I hadn't been to church in six, seven years of my life. 
And when I started going to church with her, there was almost this immediate kind of reconnection with Jesus and a great interest in ministry. So that calling really came early. I was a senior in high school on a bus ride and wrote in the margin of my Bible, you know, called to preach. Uh, It took me seven months to tell anyone. But when I finally did, uh, I wound up going to Bible college uh, and then was pastoring a church at age 19, uh, which to this day, I say, was way too young. Uh, I made a lot of mistakes and was not ready for the challenges that were there. Um, so two churches in one year, and I thought I was done. Uh, moved back to Kentucky, uh, where I'm from, and wound up serving a church there for eight years. God used that time to really heal us and prepare us for a lot. Moved to Arkansas for five years and served a, a church here. And in the middle of that, uh, really began to be kind of burned out because I'd spent so many years trying to be the pastor, trying to be the what everyone needed me to be or thought I should be. And there was a gap between who I really was and what I think people were expecting. And, uh, and that became kind of painful. So God intervened and right in the middle of that, get a, a, a strange message from someone I didn't know at Saddleback Church uh, named David Sean, and he invited me out to a conference at Saddleback. And while I was there, I assumed I was just attending because of their goodwill toward a, a random pastor in Arkansas. But while I was there, they invited me to come on board at Saddleback, be a pastor there, but also help them to rebuild pastors.com. Um, So I did that. We moved across the country to California and uh, started working on pastors.com. And in the middle of that, all of our conversations on the church staff at the time were about church planting. So I talked to David uh, and said, I really think I'm here for a different conversation. And and he said, well, you can, you can manage pastors.com from a distance. Let's send you back and, and have you plant a church for Saddleback. So we moved back across the country to Arkansas again and planted Grace Hills. And I kept managing pastors.com until a couple of years ago, uh, transitioned a little bit with purpose driven, but we've spent the last nine years planting a church and talking to a lot of pastors about how to be healthy, how to have a healthy church and, and how to grow. So we're in a spot right now where things are, are really good and, and God's blessed tremendously. So it's kind of where we are. Wow. I, I love that. I, I would love for you to dig into what you experienced when you said that you found that there was a gap between who you really were and what people were expecting. Because I yeah. feel like there's a lot of pastors that can relate to that, but may not be able to articulate it quite like that. So could you kind of help us understand what was going on there? Yeah, the, the tradition from which I come is a uh, it's a little bit more of a conservative evangelical tradition and our heroes were all suit wearing big black leather Bible carrying preachers. And so that uh, that's what I aspired to be. I wanted to be like those guys. Uh, And so I learned to look that part and play that part. But over time I came to realize that um, the part I was playing, the, the sort of trying to be the good pastor, so to speak, uh, it's it suppressed. It kind of conflicted with a lot of the thoughts I was thinking. Uh, an example might be, uh, I remember, you know, walking out of church some Sundays feeling like I had walked out of a separate time. Like, like you, you'd gone back to the 1970s and that's how we were doing ministry. And then I would log on to Facebook in the early days of Facebook. And I would think it's like, there's two different worlds here. And I really want to reach this world, but 
but I got to keep playing this part to, to keep these folks happy. And, and so there just began to emerge this kind of gap between those two worlds. So when I went to Saddleback, I was really burned out and God used that time to show me where that gap was and to just kind of break the chains of that. So when we started a new church, it was like, we're going to be real from day one, quit faking it. It's not going to work long term to do that. So, so that's what I would say. It's like, the, it's like there's a ministry world and a real world. And I began to be uh, trying to be one while having great interest in reaching the other. And I needed those to merge. So. Yeah. Well, man, that's really, that's really insightful. And I'm glad you, you found a place that you could go and kind of become who you were or explore who you were. I think a lot of people can relate to that, whether it's what you're describing where their church feels like somewhat of a time warp and they go into the real world and it's, 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 they realize how irrelevant their experience is. But I think also sometimes people um, feel as if what, what's expected of them as a pastor is not what they measure up to right? Like they just don't fit the bill. Um, and so I think that'll be encouraging for people that you could have given up, right? You could have walked away from the whole thing, but you didn't. Yeah. Probably thought awesome. about it a few times, but God intervened. Yeah. Well, let's dive into some, by the way, can you hear all this going on outside? Is that coming through my mic? Okay. Sure. Good. Trash truck. It's really loud in here, but if you can't hear it, that means the mic's not picking it up. So we're good. Um, all right. I'll start it from here. Well, let's dive into some, some practical preaching and teaching things. I've got a lot of pastors listening, and I would love to dive into your process of developing a series, crafting a sermon. How do you approach that, and what are some best practices that you've discovered through the years? Yeah. Well, process-wise, I think I'd have to start like 30,000 foot. Um, at our church, we, we, we pray before the end of each year about a word. Or, or a phrase that describes what we feel God's leading us to, to grow in in the next year. So one year, it was a year of breakthrough because we had a lot of families and marriages we felt were stuck. And so we focused throughout that year, kind of the calendar, uh, everything sort of traced back to the idea of breakthrough. Um, in, in 2020, it was the year of encounter. Um, and so you know, we, we wanted everything to kind of touch back to how I'm encountering God in my life for this year, for 2021. Uh, it's the year, it's the year of good news because 2020 was, there were a few bad news stories here and there last year. (laughs) And so we really wanted this year to focus on Jesus and on the gospel and really zero in on his personhood and who Jesus was and, and, and what the gospel really is. So the whole year, we're going to look at the good news, so to speak. Um, Not that the gospel doesn't always need to be our subject matter, but a particular focus this year. So after that, then we sit down and we go, what does the the church calendar look like? And I'm talking about the the big church calendar. So uh, for the first time ever, we're walking as a church, uh, maybe a little different for an evangelical church like ours, but we're looking at sort of that liturgical calendar. We're not, a, we're not a high church. We don't have a lot of liturgical elements in our church, but uh, we did want to sort of tap into a lot of tradition, you know, uh, Christians around the world celebrating some of the same things at the same time. So we're developing a series around Lent and a series around Easter and a series around Pentecost. And, and then after Pentecost, we'll develop other series 
that kind of focus on kind of the gospel in the Old Testament, the gospel in the, the epistles and Revelation and leading up to Advent. So we kind of divide the year up that way. Uh, after that, you've got, you know, anywhere from eight to ten series during a year. And that's where we want to step away from church terminology and churchy vocabulary and start asking, well, how do we communicate these eternal things in a context that makes sense for people? So we'll come up with series names that that sort of uh, hit the ground a little better. Like, um, you know, we're, we're sort of still debating about what to call the Lent series, but we thought about doing a series on giving up. People feel like giving up, but our point is going to be actually when you give up certain things that are unhealthy or unholy in your life, that's where you find new life at. So taking a, a more contemporary title, but attaching it to something eternal. Um, and then you get down to the week to week and the week to week for me is, uh, I know guys that have their sermon ready four weeks in advance for the creative team. That is not me. Um, if I do that, I step into, I step out on the stage without a lot of connection to the message. I feel like my passion is dull. And so I prepare this week for this Sunday. Uh, I usually wrap up by Thursday, um, but I'm reading the next week's text on Sunday night and on Monday, which for me is a day off, but I still want to just read the text. Uh, Tuesday is a big research day. Wednesday and Thursday, I'm outlining it. And by Friday, they're making the slides and all that good stuff. So, uh, so that's kind of my yearly, monthly, weekly process. And I just try to get ready for this weekend during this week. And that's worked really well for me. You know, I've got a lot of, you know, listeners from all different backgrounds and, and I've got some high church and some evangelical and others. And so to those who are listening who are a high church, I mean, I'm sure they're saying, yes, church calendar. Um, but for those who are from traditions more like yours and mine, I think there's something to be said about, you know, the church calendar, the liturgical calendar didn't come from nothing. I mean, it, there's some history there and it's really great that uh, you're appreciating that history. And I love the two prong approach of let's, let's kind of work with what we've got here in the calendar, but let's engage people who the calendar doesn't mean anything to them, right? Uh, people yeah. who are, who are outside of that process. You know, um, I, I want to ask a little bit more about the, the thought process that you have behind creativity, because what you describe takes a lot of creativity to pull off. Um, you've got to come up with, with sermons. You've got to come up with sermon, uh, sermon series titles and sermon titles and things like that. And I know that a lot of people who are listening may have a, a sense of creative, like some people don't feel like they are creative. Other people yeah. may be creative, but get into a rut. Uh, where they're like, I'm all out of ideas. Then you throw a pandemic on top of that and all the attention that has to go to managing that. Yeah. And a lot of pastors are just saying, I'm just trying to get through the week. You know, how do I remain creative? So what would you say to, uh, to the pastor who's in a creative rut? Yeah, first I would say, I believe everyone is creative. Some of us have nurtured that creativity and some of us have not. Uh, and I say that because the creator made us to look like him. At the same time, I also recognize some people have more of a natural giftedness for just coming up with ideas. Others of us may struggle longer. Uh, if, if, you're, if you're great at coming up with ideas quickly, um, my advice is always to surround yourself with people 
who can sort of review your ideas and speak into things and say, I don't know that that's really grounded in the, the message you're trying to get across. It's creative, but it doesn't connect back to the eternal. Uh, for those pastors that struggle to feel creative, I think you surround yourself with creative people and you can say, I know where I want to come from the eternal truth of, of God's word from. I'm just struggling for some titles or graphics or whatever. So teamwork's a big part of that. Um, and I think another big part of it is just observation. Uh, you know, so I'm, I'm looking at the Abingdon church annual and the, uh, different, different, uh, and again, that's a liturgical resource. I've also got about 50 different, um, you know, mega church sermon landing pages bookmarked. So I can just glance and see what did they preach on last year? How did they present their graphics in such a way that was on trend? And so again, just connecting those two, I want to be inspired. Uh, I want to be grounded. And, and so just surrounding yourself with people and ideas is a huge part of that. What are some of the churches that you uh, have on those on that list of 50? Just some that might come to mind that pastors yeah. can check out. Well, uh, before I answer, I got to say it's, it's funny because I'll say in advance, it's a diversity of churches. Uh, I, I don't have them in a list for total theological agreement. Uh, I just know they are creative. So Life Church, uh, Elevation Church, uh, I'm looking at, uh, I love uh, the Potter's House in Dallas. Um, Cornerstone Church in Dallas. They're, they're churches from slightly different traditions. Um, uh, the, the Village Church, because I think they present a lot of discipleship material with their series. Uh, so there's, there's five just off the top of my head. Saddleback Church, obviously, big connection there, but looking at Pastor Rick's sermon resources for the year. Um, so just those are some of the biggest yeah, you know, the thing that I, I appreciate about I mean, all those churches uh, share pretty pretty generously. I do know Life Church offers kind of their whole back end uh, for completely free. So if you go to open.life.church, I think is what it is, you can sign up, make an account, and get access to anything. So um, I, I've seen a lot of Life Church sermons end up in other churches. Um, I know even at, at my church at One Life, from time to time, we've used their graphics, even though we've got a great creative team that can come up with their own. But sometimes it's like, hey, they did it. They did it well. Let's just go with it because it's really, really good. You know, you said something earlier that I think could be really encouraging to pastors who feel the pressure to work ahead. Uh, in fact, just a, a few weeks ago, I had someone on the show uh, who works two years ahead. I mean, he knows what he's preaching on in the end of 2022. And you said something that I, I find to be, I, I connect with it, even though I want to work ahead and I typically am wired that way. But you said if you work too far ahead or even if you work four weeks ahead, your passion diminishes for this week. So can you talk about, given that, how much do you plan? Uh, because you've got, I know you're a planner. That's your personality, it seems like. So you've got something written down for the subsequent weeks. How far down that path do you go? And when do you, um, you know, when do you kind of cut it off and say, okay, I'm going to start working on this Sunday? Yeah. Well, um, so about a year in advance, I have ideas, things that we might talk about. And, and that might be a series title with five or six potential messages under it. Uh, I even share those with our staff. Hey, here are some of the things I'm thinking about covering in the next year. Um, but also knowing that it's always subject to change. Uh, we really only know for sure uh, the series that is coming 
one or two series ahead. So uh, we might know for April what we're going to be talking about when we're planning back here in January. Um, so for me, it's that kind of, I have a general direction, um, but, you know, Aristotle and Plato both talked about this, these three dimensions of a speaker's influence, and it was ethos, logos, and pathos. So how you live your life, logos is the content you have to share, and then pathos is the passion, the, the emotion you bring to it. What I've found is that when I'm preparing, the pathos is strong. I'm feeling this. I can't wait to get this across. Um, but if I, if I do that a, a month in advance or too far in advance, by the time I circle back around to the content, you know, I'm, hey, it's time to preach that now, I can't quite connect with what broke my heart to lead to the message idea to begin with. Um, it, it also for me, and, and there's, I think some leaders are just gifted planners and I, I celebrate that. And if you're two years in advance, that's awesome. Um, I think for me, I, I tend to want to be able to pivot and, and react when necessary. So last year in 2020, you know, when we looked at, um, when, when churches had to close, we had to shut down our in-person services and go fully online. Well, in the middle of that, we're asking, what, is, what does our church need to hear right now? And so we spent a series of messages on who the church is. It was kind of a, how did they do it in the New Testament uh, of 2,000 years ago? And how can we still do that even with these conditions? Then as we began to get back together, I felt like, you know, with all of the political stuff, people were wondering, who are we? What do we stand for? So then we did a series on our core values. It was a 10-week long series walking through all of our church's core values from a scriptural perspective. So I like to be able to pivot when I need to. So plan in advance, dream in advance. But for me, it's I want to stay connected really well to, to the topic at hand and what's pertinent in the moment. Yeah, that's that, and that's so important. And I, I love that you, you know, th this relieves some pressure because uh, you're able to say, "Hey, if you plan ahead, plan ahead and and have at it. And if you don't, then don't feel the pressure that you have to do uh, what doesn't come naturally to you." And that, that's the that's the dynamic part about preaching is that it comes through an individual, right? And and so your personality comes into the mix in a way that is going to be unique to you. And it's going to be unique to other people. You know, I, I, want, to, I want to get into Aristotle's communication because I, I majored in communication. And, you know, that, that theory was kind of one of the standard theories that we studied. And uh, I, we talk a lot about that at Preaching Donkey. It's interesting with ethos, pathos, logos, and you pronounce them better than I do. <laughs> but um, with those three things, um, pathos is the most important for actually persuading someone to make a change. And yet what you're saying is if you plan too far ahead, pathos is what's lacking. So there's a lot of wisdom in you doing your sermons week of when that pathos is there because that passion is actually what motivates people to, to, to take action, to, to lean in, to be curious, uh, it builds tension. So ha have you seen that in your preaching that if you, if, you, if you lack the pathos, it doesn't have the same effect? And, and what would you say to that? Yeah, I think that's been extremely true for me uh, in that as preachers, we want to be on point with the content. You know, we want to make sure it's biblical. I've done my exegetical work. I, I know confidently that what this text means. 
on our side, all of that's incredibly important. Um, but the ultimate goal of every sermon that I preach is to effect change, to, to, to set the stage for transformation of someone's life, that they do things differently, they live differently after. And, and therefore, people, you have to understand that people don't change because of content. It's kind of like uh, my, my grandfather hated seatbelts because he thought it was the government ruling over us too much, um, telling us to wear them all the time. Till he had a wreck. After the wreck, he wore a seatbelt. I think people, we collect content in our heads, but until we feel the weight of it, it just doesn't change things for us. And so pathos to me is that sort of, I'm feeling the weight of this. This has broken my heart. I'm, I'm bearing this out. Um, so on the drive to church every week, my wife will ask me, hey, what's your big story that you're that you're sharing what is the what is the major drive of this message and i'm rehearsing that to her on on the way to church because i know that my outline might be solid but it's not going to change things if people don't feel it it's that uh, my angelou quote about people don't remember what you said they remember how you made them feel so obviously you can't build a ministry on emotionalism that's not fair it's not biblical it's not right but you also can't change people without involving their emotions in the process. So, yeah. Yeah. I mean, you, you, you're, you're right on. Um, I I think what's interesting is the completeness of that. You know, it, it is just a theory among many, but I think it's pretty dang accurate. When you have the ethos, you're a trust, trustworthy communicator. People believe in you, the person, and you have a, a message that makes sense and stands up and is compelling and you're able to touch the emotions and the heart and the felt needs of people. That's a pretty, pretty foolproof way of approaching uh, preaching. So, yeah, I think I think a lot of pastors could really benefit from looking at their content not so one-dimensional. Where if I just say what's true, people are going to respond. Um, we don't we don't really see that pan out. So I'm, I'm glad you I'm glad you dove into that. I want to I want to ask you about resources that you've used, books you've read recently that maybe have helped you in your preaching and your leadership. Uh, what, what's one that comes to mind? It, it's an old one, but I've I've just been skimming it. I'm not reading it straight through. But uh, Warren Wearsby's "Preaching and Teaching with Imagination" kind of kind of speaks into, um, and and we lost him last year, great hero. But it, it kind of speaks into. Um, taking the text, you know, and, and envisioning how it works out in the world around us. So that's a, that's a big one. I'm also going back in in some John Stott uh, books, looking at his uh, preaching, I forget the exact title, but preaching the new Testament to our world. And and so where he talks about building that bridge between the then and there, the here and now Um, in in terms of uh, super, contemporary, fresh books that are coming out today. I don't feel like I've read very many lately because I read so many of them five to 10 years ago. Uh, I spent a lot of time consuming Andy Stanley's book on communication and various others. So all of those are good, but um, I I really want to tap into some, some guys that are no longer with us to hear their wisdom, I think lately. Yeah. There's a lot, there's a lot of wisdom in that and definitely, Warren Wiersbe's commentary set is one that I highly recommend to anybody. It's about a six set, six volume set, I think. If you don't have it, sometimes you can find it on sale for 
50 bucks for the whole thing. Highly recommend it if you don't have it on, on your logo software. Well, so you, um, as we're kind of wrapping up, and I really appreciate you, you joining us today, you mentor and coach a lot of pastors over at brandonacox.com, and I know just in your, in your ministry overall. What are some things that you would say to pastors who are listening, who are discouraged right now? You know, we're going into 2021. Um, 2020 was difficult for everybody. Uh, we, we don't know kind of what uh, you know, ups and downs are going to come with uh, the pandemic and those kind of situations. So if you could just share a word of wisdom or insight or encouragement to, uh, to those who are listening. Yeah. So I mentioned earlier, David Sean from Saddleback. Um, he, he's their, one of their executive pastors. And when he was going to seminary, he was, dry, he was moving his family to Texas and their truck, uh, the moving truck caught on fire burned up all their stuff. He was discouraged. He was down. He was ready to quit. And he wrote a little letter to Rick Warren saying, I think I'm done. And Rick wrote a letter back and he said, he hand wrote it on a big note and it just said, the tide goes out, but it always comes back in. So what's funny is 20 years later, David winds up on staff at Saddleback through a lot of different moves and changes. And the day he is decorating his office, pulls that note framed and hangs it on the wall. And Pastor Rick sees it. Uh, that wow. is one of the most impactful stories I've ever heard because it reminds me to focus on the long haul. Mm. Uh, we're going to have a rough year or two. Uh, think if you were preaching in the, in the 40s, you know, you had a world war. If you're preaching in the 19 teens, you had a, a global pandemic. Um, but those things don't last forever. We're going to have preach people to preach to for years and years to come. So buckle down for the hard seasons and give yourself permission sometimes to go a week at a time. I'm going to get through Sunday. I'm going to love people. I'm going to do the best I can. And I'm going to go take several naps and, and try again next week. And then there will also be times when things are fresh and things are moving and you're able to see the long vision, so to speak. So just, I would say, hang on and feed that long-term vision because over time, God's going to use you to make disciples and that's a bigger goal than you can fulfill in a week or two. Wow. That's really good. I appreciate you sharing that. Well, Brandon Cox, it's been awesome to have you on the show today. I know this can be very encouraging for those who are listening Everybody, uh, you can check out more from Brandon at brandonacox.com. Thanks so much for being on here, man. I really appreciate it. Thanks, Lane. Uh, it's been an honor. It's been a lot of fun. Awesome. Well, there you have it, Brandon Cox. I'm so grateful that he came on the show. I think there's so much in that interview that is so helpful. One of the things I love about that interview and also about Brandon is just his intentionality with every step. If you just you can almost see it and hear it in his voice that he is so purposeful and intentional with the steps that he's taking. Spirit-filled, yes, spirit-led, absolutely. And at the same time, incredibly incredibly methodical and purposeful. And then his approach to communication is just hits every hits every button I have. I mean, to to consider the the pathos and the logos and the ethos and how all those things work together to make sure that people are hearing our message, that they're persuaded by it and that it causes them to take action in some way. It's an amazing thing and it's something that we can't uh, we can't look past those communication fundamentals as preachers because 
if people aren't hearing what we're saying and connecting with it at an emotional level, they're probably not going to be spurred to action, which is the goal. That's what we want to do. We want to we want our preaching to to spur life change and application. So I love Brandon's approach. Definitely check him out at brandonacox.com. And that's it for today's episode. I'll see you next Thursday for another episode of the Preaching Donkey Podcast. Until then, remember, if God can speak through a donkey, which he did in Numbers 22, that's where this whole name Preaching Donkey came from. But if he can speak through a donkey uh, to get his message across, he can speak through you and he can speak through me. And I find a lot of comfort in that. I hope you do too. See you next time here at the Preaching Donkey Podcast.